Hey everyone, welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. Hope everyone had a great holiday. It is now 2021, a brand new year, and we are back. And also a Big congratulations to Eiichiro Oda for 1,000 chapters being released just this past weekend. That is crazy. 1,000 chapters of One Piece. And yeah, it looks like we are reaching the climax of the series, but I, it's, it's a, quite an accomplishment. And congratulations to him and great for us as fans. Anyways, getting back to it. On this episode, we're going to be talking about anime episodes 62 through 64, which will be covering manga chapters 102 to 107. We've got a lot longer of an episode today, as these three episodes cover a lot of story and so much to get into. Also, I really like these episodes, so I'll probably be going into more detail than necessary, but I love the Reverse Mountain, Twin Capes, and Whiskey Peak. Portions of the story as they include some of the best comedy in the series. So, yeah, I can't wait. Anyways, let's get started with the synopsis. So, after coming down from Reverse Mountain, the Straw Hats are immediately faced with a mountain sized whale that stands in their way, and eventually they get swallowed by it. However, they're helped out by a doctor called Crocus, who has been caring for the whale that is named Laboon. And with his help, they are all set free. And they learn more about Laboon's story from him, as well as more information about how to navigate the Grand Line and how it works before setting out for their first island, Whiskey Peak. So, differences. In terms of differences, I'm actually surprised that there are very few differences between the manga and the anime, despite the amount of story that's covered in these three episodes. And the only ones I could really find are the following. So, Miss Wednesday's outfit. In the anime, her shirt has diagonal stripes going across it, while in the manga, has these circular stripe patterns on each of her breasts and in her stomach area. I'm assuming this was maybe done to tone down her sexuality, but I'm Not entirely sure. So if you do know, let me know. And then the other minor change that was made is we get a few more scenes of Laboon's flashback with his old pirate crew and even getting to see the face of the captain. Because in the manga, this is all done in really wide. Shot panels and the faces are shrouded in silhouettes, and so we never actually get a good look at the pirate crew that Laboon belongs to. But yeah, that's pretty much it, if you can believe it. Getting into my overall thoughts on these episodes. So, you know, coming out of those god awful filler episodes, these are like a breath of fresh air, as they're some of my favorite episodes. These have got some of the best comedy and Best directing the entire series has ever seen. Aside from already funny and interesting material the, from the manga, the anime somehow makes all this even better as it adds so much more to the comedy with some great sound and camera work. More importantly, these episodes are packed full of incredible and interesting world building and story exposition. Let's start with the twin capes. The whole introduction to Laboon is amazing. The way it keeps building and building. The tension while also balancing comedy is perfect. First off, just the image of the Going Merry going down Reverse Mountain and their first challenge is a whale the size of a skyscraper is absolutely massive. And already the Grand Line is presented as this insane place where scary stuff like this exists. And because they're going so fast down the mountain with the rudder broken, it looks like they're going to crash into it and die. <laughs> And I love the way this whole sequence is done with this intense drama and then immediate comedy. And this entire episode seems to. 
follow this sort of ebb and flow with intensity and then levity and then back and forth because right after that dramatic fade to black with Nami saying it's over then it cuts to Luffy in a dark room lighting a match and we see he's lighting the cannon to use its momentum to stop the ship which is actually really smart on Luffy's part but we see everyone's ridiculous reaction to this weird plan then it goes right back to dramatic as Nami considering their mor mortality and Luffy staring down Labu and getting ready to pick a fight but then we find what he's actually pissed off about is losing his special seat atop the merry figurehead and punches Laboon in the eye. <laughs> then again, we get this intense scene with the rest of the crew being eaten with the Mary and Luffy being thrust onto Laboon and the music swells, but then cuts to a wide shot of Laboon closing his mouth like it was nothing to him. And the music just kind of sputtering out. And then one last example in the very next scene, we see Luffy freaking out and desperately trying to get Laboon to return his crew. But then it holds on this shot of Luffy awkwardly staring at an entry hatch right next to him. This sequencing of tone keeps occurring into the next section, which is easily one of my all-time favorite comedic moments of the entire series. I will never forget this scene. And also one of the best comedy writing on Oda's part. And it's even further enhanced by the anime. And that scene that I'm referring to is the scene inside Laboon with the introduction of Crocus. And oh my god, I can't overstate how much I love this scene. We're immediately given the impression that this is someone that is pretty strong and skilled as he kills a giant squid with ease right off the bat. But then he comes out having this epic stare down with Sanji. And I just freaking love how the camera gets closer and closer to their faces till they're in obscene extreme close-ups of their eyes with veins coming out and then it just cuts to Crocus sitting down to read a newspaper without saying a word and Sanji's reaction is just pure priceless. He comically screams out, say something you bastard! And then it launches into one of my favorite gags, that boom 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 sequence of intense but not intense conversation with Crocus. With Usopp first threatening Crocus saying if he wants to start something they've got a cannon. And after all that boom boom montaging, Crocus says something intimidating only to be referring to the least intimidating follow-up. This scene is so funny on so many levels. First off the subversion of Crocus's responses to his intimidation is funny in and of itself. And then you have the crew's reaction, especially Sanji and Zoro getting really irritated and agitated by this guy's ridiculous responses. Then the fact that the boom, boom, boom montage gag is used three times in the exact same way with a bit of a fourth wall break as everyone seems to be aware of the gag. And <laughs> ending with Krokus saying he was intentionally doing the gag and that no one seems to appreciate repeating gags anymore. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I especially love the first two, the better not, someone will die, with Sanji responding, oh, who's gonna die? And then Crocus retorts, me. And then you use that classic Japanese Tsukomi style humor with Sanji screaming back, you are? But while I love Sanji's reaction, I think Zoro's one by far kills me every time. With Zoro calmly asking about who Crocus is and where are they, and Crocus tells him that it's etiquette to always introduce oneself before asking someone else questions. And as Zoro realizes his mistake, he proceeds to introduce himself to Crocus, but then he just all of a sudden starts talking over Zoro and just starts introducing himself and explaining things about himself that has nothing to do with anything. And Zoro also having none of this guy's BS has this absurd shark tooth face and is asking if he can cut him down. <laughs> Zoro just saying to his crew is hilarious. All the while, 
Crocus is telling them information no one asks for, like his astrological sign being a Gemini and his blood type is AB. Like, what? Like, this entire scene is just absurdly funny and absolute gold. I... I sometimes just put this scene on just to watch this scene because it's so funny. It never fails to get a laugh out of me. But after all that ridiculous conversation, he does go on to reveal that they are actually inside Laboon's stomach and it's just painted to look like it's outdoors. After all that, we find out that Luffy did manage to get inside Laboon where we are then introduced to a couple new characters. And when I say characters, these two are characters, Mr. Nine and Miss Wednesday. And they are here to kill Laboon and get the whale for food. And eventually Luffy accidentally launches both of them and himself into the stomach acid where everyone else is. And we learn that Crocus has been protecting and treating Laboon. I think there's... Something lost here that kind of gets glossed over. And I frankly missed this a couple, the first couple times I actually saw it because it's not really pointed out. But Crocus actually has some decent like stamina and strength to him to be able to first take out that squid. And now, you know, taking on those two cannonballs shot from Mr. Nine and Miss Wednesday. And he just literally launches himself in there just taking them right in the face. And he still manages to survive just fine. It's kind of an interesting fact looking back on this now then once they make it outside of laboon we get into the meat of this sort of mini arc and that is laboon's flashback story and oh my gosh it is just so heartbreaking we learned that he followed a certain pirate crew into the grand line because that crew didn't want to take laboon with them through the entire grand line as they thought it would be too dangerous for him so they asked crocus to look after him as they travel the Grand Line and promised to come back for him in two to three years, but that didn't happen as 50 years had now passed and that crew either fled or died, leading to Laboon refusing to believe that they abandoned him and he continues to howl at the Red Line and charges it with his head trying to break through it. It's just so sad. He's like a big dog waiting for his master loyally and patiently, which makes what Luffy does all the more heartwarming in challenging him and calling their duel a draw, after which he promised promises to return to settle their duel, we also get to see another instance of Luffy's horrible artistic skills as he draws his terrible version of the straw hat Jolly Roger on Laboon's forehead to make sure he doesn't smash his head anymore. I love stuff like this more than anything. Just Luffy being Luffy and just the good guy he is trying to help anyone and everyone he meets by just being himself and genuinely caring for them in his own idiotic way. <laughs> it just warms my heart. Also though, Poor going Mary, he just rips the main mast off to use as a weapon to start the fight with Laboon. Mary is not having a good day. Moving on, we get some more detailed world building and a much needed explanation of the Grand Line about its geography and how it works with Crocus explaining to the Straw Hats and us. We learn about the Log Posts, a special compass for navigating the Grand Line. I personally have always loved the concept of the Log Posts because it creates a level of uncertainty for our characters on where they could go and there's always the threat of landing on an island where they are stuck on the island longer than they'd like to be because 
because they'd have to wait for the log post to fill with the current island's magnetic field before they could leave. It just adds another layer of intrigue to each island, also seeing how the log post fits into their situation on any given island. Although it's not really explored too much, I love that there are six other points and a multitude of different paths they could take to start the Grand Line and get through it to that final island. Speaking of which, we get some huge details on the One Piece itself and our story's end goal. We learn of the final island where it's believed the One Piece resides and the only person to have ever reached it was in fact Gold Roger. And that island is called Laugh Tale. Yes, you heard me right. It is called Laugh Tale, as in haha laugh. I know in the translation they call it Raft Tale, and for many, many years, pretty much everyone thought it was called Raft Tale, including myself, because the Japanese phon- phonetic romanization sounded just like that, Rafteru. But because of how in Japanese the L and the R sounds are pretty much the same, people just assume it was translated Raft Tale. And throughout all these years, until just very recently, it was revealed how it's actually translated in the most recent movie actually One Piece Stampede and then later confirmed in chapter 967 I believe of the main story when I saw that movie last year and I saw that spelling I was like what? we were all pronouncing it wrong and no one not Oda not Toei Shueisha Viz or the Jump editors had said anything even though apparently this had been established at least by Oda and his editors a long long time time ago apparently and not even the official translations from like viz or four kids or funimation had the translation correct and i guess this was a mystery to everybody and we all just assumed it was raft hill I mean, this had seriously carried on for like 19 years. Needless to say, my mind was blown when that was revealed in the Stampede movie of all places for the first time. So I will refer to it as Laugh Tale going forward, despite what most subtitles and translations say for many of the earlier episodes. It's then decided that their first starting island of the Grand Line will be Whiskey Peak, as the two thugs, Mr. Nine and Miss Wednesday, have asked them if they would be so gracious to take them back to their home because they had lost their log posts and of course Luffy being the naive trusting guy he is he just says okay without a thought and episode 63 comes to an end there but not before we get one more surprise reveal that Crocus actually knew Roger which kind of makes sense if everybody stops by the twin capes before their journey Crocus would have most likely have met Roger but he believes that Roger would think that Luffy has a very unique air about him that makes him believe that he might be the one to actually make it to Laugh Tale which is very interesting because that would make it seem that not only did they meet but they had a very close relationship that Crocus would actually know what Roger would have preferred or would have thought of Luffy. So that is something to keep an eye on. Going into the next episode, the first scene of the Straw Hats sailing in the Grand Line is pretty fun and crazy too. I love Luffy and Usopp playing in the snow. And like I said, I really like seeing the Straw Hats just hanging out, especially Luffy and Usopp, who are always funny as they're like best friends and little kids, just love messing around with each other. And the whole Yuki Daru-san punching the Snow Queen in the head always makes me laugh out loud because it's just so funny and Nami then gets to show off her amazing navigating skills adapting and guiding everyone to handle the sudden crazy shifts in weather all the while Zoro is just fast asleep during all this stress and this will become a common trait of Zoro being asleep during much of the sailing aside from when he's training and I want to go into Zoro sleeping more towards the end of this podcast but we'll save that for a little bit later
I also want to mention the funny scene afterwards when Zoro is awake and gives everyone crap for looking lazy because they're all tired from working so hard keeping the ship upright. But Nami hitting him over the head and that shot of him hunched over in pain with bumps all over his head is so funny. Especially think because right before he's acting all tough interrogating Mr. Nine and Miss Wednesday because he somehow recognizes that name and he just can't quite put his finger on it, but he looks all tough and stuff. And Nami comes up behind him and just bashes him over the head. I don't think it ever gets old seeing Nami punishing these monsters like Zoro, Sanji, and Luffy who can tank like these massive attacks when they're fighting other pirates and then they get punished by Nami and just take like just a huge beating and it's always really funny. But once we get to the last stretch of these sets of episodes we get our very first island in the grand line whiskey peak whiskey peak seems to be a little plain and uninteresting aesthetically at least and has this sort of desert western town look to it not my favorite but i wouldn't expect the first island to be this like insane place but it is still a little underwhelming you know for the first island in the grand line but whatever everything starts off looking very suspicious with the fog and everything but then all of a sudden they're welcomed by by all the townsfolk, including the mayor, Igarapoi, being another one of Oda's awesome character designs with that crazy, like, curly hair from, like, early England or something. Also, a fact that no one cares about, but I love that ma-ma-ma that he does to clear his throat. I actually do that to warm up before each time I record the podcast. Because <laughs> it's just so funny. In addition to that, they even get a huge party thrown for them. But obviously, we are all even more suspicious of an over-the-top welcome like this for some random pirates. And it turns out that it was, in fact, a trick to lure the Straw Hats into a false sense of security so that they can plunder them and also claim the bounty on Luffy's head. Now, with all the Straw Hats incapacitated, either passed out from partying too hard or drunk because the bounty hunters spiked their drinks. And now they're finally ready to make their move on the Straw Hats. But, of course, in an epic reveal yet again, Zoro is awake and perfectly fine. I absolutely love this reveal with Zoro towering over everyone with no one noticing him until he announces himself with the moon behind him and he's just holding up the sword and it just looks awesome like this scene looks incredible both in the manga and in the anime the anime makes it cool because the colors look really unique as it's the moonlight and the sky is kind of this sort of bluish greenish hue and it's really cool looking and kind of bringing it back to that point that I mentioned about Zoro being asleep during the day all the time. It's obviously done for comedic reasons because it's funny to see him always sleep during the day, especially when work needs to be done when they're sailing. But I think it's actually something he does intentionally for a real reason in story. And he knows that during the day, they're pretty well protected with Luffy and Sanji being awake as well as the other members of the crew. But during the night, they can be left vulnerable. And so I think he sleeps during the day so that he can stay awake during the night and protect everyone else while they are asleep. I don't know why, but this type of behavior fits Zoro's character so well, just based on what we know about him, just as sort of the lone protector and the rock of the crew. And it also makes sense that Zoro would be the one person that actually knows to do this because he's the one that's kind of been sailing the seas all by himself as a bounty hunter and always kind of had a target on his back as the pirate hunter Zoro. So it makes sense that he would always 
always sort of have this one eye open type of behavior. Zoro also reveals that in addition to all the citizens of Whiskey Peak and including Mr. Nine and Miss Wednesday, that they're all part of some underground criminal organization called the Baroque Works. And Zoro was actually recruited by them at one point because of how prolific of a bounty hunter Zoro became in the East Blue, of course, before meeting Luffy. I love this little bit of story that gives Zoro some more backstory as well as making this interconnected story between Zoro and these new villains. And as a complete aside, I will ne never get over Miss Monday's voice. She's this hulking, huge and jacked up woman who has the most cutesy and high-pitched voice I've ever heard. It's pretty funny and it just never quite meshes, but it also does at this point because I've seen this episode for so, so many times. But yeah, we get this huge cliffhanger with Zoro about to take on a hundred bounty hunters at once all alone and that's where the episode cuts off and yeah that is a great cliffhanger and what an amazing three episodes like I you know despite not getting too many epic things happening and mostly just exposition these three episodes are so fun to watch I don't know why I mean obviously do know why I mean it's the comedy like the comedy and just how well the story is told and yeah it just works so well and I think one thing that gets lost in these episodes is just the pacing. Like, Toei did not mess the pacing up on these three episodes. They, like, gave it everything in the right amount of pacing. But yeah, before we get to the closing, we do want to talk about the new ending. So in episode 63, we get a new ending theme titled Watashi ga iru yo. And it also happens to be one of my favorites as well. And the title translates to I Am Here With You, performed by Tomato Cube. And this is a very 90s slash 2000s J-pop song, which is exactly my kind of song. It's a very poppy and upbeat. And the song lyrics are pretty basic in meaning. You know, they talk about how you're always going to be there for your loved ones in great times as well as times of challenge and how you support them no matter what. It's a very basic theme. And I always felt like this is a happy medium of energy between Memories and Run Run Run, the last two are ending themes. Memories is incredibly mellow, while Run 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 is like being injected with caffeine. It's super energetic. And the animation that accompanies this is probably the best we've seen so far from the endings with actual scene sequences of the Mary and the crew beautifully animated. And I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure some of these are color spreads and they are being animated. And so it's really cool to see that, especially I think the one of Nami trying on clothes and then the one with Sanji cooking. And also there's a panda man sighting on Sanji's apron during that one particular scene as he's chopping the vegetable. So keep an eye out for that but yeah with that we close on the first three episodes in the grand line and it could not have started off any better like i mentioned these are some of my absolute favorite episodes because of how much is going on in terms of story and world building but in addition to that great stuff these episodes are funny as hell and yeah i can't wait to explore more of whiskey peak as we get into our first conflict and action in the grand line in the next few episodes so be sure to come back for that and as always 
If you enjoyed this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at SunnyGoPodcast. If you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to the podcast. And stay tuned for the spoiler section if you are interested because I've got quite a bit to talk about since so much is established and revealed here in these episodes. But if if not, I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alright, so spoiler section. I do have a lot to talk about, but this is going to be a little bit more off the cuff and unscripted. So obviously the first thing I want to talk about is Laboon. And if you thought his backstory was heartbreaking here, oh my god. Now that, I mean, once we get to Punk Hazard, it is like a punch in the gut when it comes to Laboon. Like, I, lo- I loved Laboon's story here, but once we find out that it's connected to Brooke and his backstory, it just, I mean, it makes me tear up every time I think about that. And when that is first revealed, when Brooke saves Robin and Frankie on that bridge, and it's revealed that Brooke was part of that crew. I mean, it was so shocking when I found that out. Obviously, I want to talk more about that once we get to Punk Hazard, but I still will never forget that connection. And I mean, from this to Punk Hazard, I think it was like six or seven years. It was a long ass time before we got to that point. And when Oda drops that bomb on you, it's just massive. And yeah, just the idea that the person that Laboon is waiting for was Brooke and Brooke joins the crew. Now there's two reasons to go back to Laboon and it's just so amazing. And you know, Brooke's dream of letting Laboon hear the Roombar Pirates play one last time in that dial is just so heartwarming and one of my favorite dreams that I hope gets accomplished. And yeah, and you know, it's funny. Usopp's line about how everybody's being all pessimistic, he's actually right here in believing that there was still a chance that they're still looking for him because Brooke, 50 years later, is still looking for him and wants to get back to Laboon. And he's going to do it with Luffy's help. And it's just crazy to think that. I mean, yeah, well, obviously we'll talk more about Brooke and his flashback and his story with Laboon much, much later once we get to Punk Hazard. But I just, yeah, seeing this, knowing Brooke and their connection now just makes it that much more emotional. Next thing I wanted to talk about was the Mary and the damage it sustains here because, you know, obviously we know from Water 7 in NES Lobby that Mary doesn't make it. And right from the get-go in the Grand Line, Mary starts to take damage. Like, it's pretty insane. Like, I've, you know, it's always occurred to me that it starts here, but now that I'm, like, really paying attention and re-watching it again, it's just the fact that his, his figurehead gets broken off here, the mask gets broken off, here and just the amount of damage it's already sustained and they just barely enter the grand line it's like no matter it's like no wonder mary couldn't make it past nes lobby and again we're gonna talk way more about mary once we get to the nes lobby and water seven and even skypea just yeah just seeing mary take hit after hit after hit and you know just it's really sad like seeing mary take this much damage because you know when you know what's going to happen 
it's just really sad and yeah i hate reliving mary's end it just sucks but you know they do get a new cool ship later but which this podcast is obviously named after but yeah as much as i love the thousand sunny the going mary will always have a special place in all of our hearts the other thing I wanted to talk about were the the seven paths. This is actually a concept I completely forgot about up until I just rewatched this. I forgot that there were other starting areas uh, for the Grand Line, and and it reminded me of the fact that once they get to Sabodi Island, the supernovas are all there. But it makes sense that they would have never run into them because there are so many different ways to get there. Not only are there seven different starting points, but there are different paths that they could have all taken, and. I I love that these rookies, the supernovas, are all there at the same time, but they all got there in very different ways. And it's kind of funny thinking back on that too, because Roger also went multiple times into the Grand Line. And we know now that he he went on his final journey to find Laftel. And it's just kind of weird to think about that. And I forgot about this whole concept of the fact that there are different starting points in the Grand Line. I, it's not that I didn't know it. It's just that I just kind of forgot and I never really consciously thought about it anymore. And speaking of Roger, the whole uh, connection between Crocus and Roger, you know, obviously we know that Crocus spent time on Roger's crew as his doctor, and he was there to diagnose him with his disease. And it makes sense that Crocus is super strong. He was a crew member of Goldie Roger. You know, he, he was his doctor, and it makes sense that he's pretty buff and pretty strong in his own right, even at his advanced age. And I love that Crocus, you know, we already got a hint that Crocus intimately knew Roger as he looked at Luffy and immediately thought about what Roger would think about Luffy. And it's kind of cool to see that, like in that one line that Oda was already thinking about the fact that Crocus was a member of Roger's crew. And it's just kind of crazy that he has all these different like story plots and beats like just completely planned out. Like, I don't know if he has them all planned out, but it's just kind of weird that he has so much of this in his head and how he keeps it all straight and organized without contradicting himself too often and then the last thing i wanted to talk about is obviously mr nine and miss wednesday and igarapoi who we all know miss wednesday is vivi and igarapoi is igaram and then baroque works now this these obviously are the big characters going forward you know and it's funny mr nine claiming that he's a prince or that he's a king and even though he isn't one when he's interrogated by nami but vivi sitting right next to them is hiding the fact that she actually is royalty and it's kind of some it's kind of funny and maybe some deep and cheeky foreshadowing on oda's part but yeah miss wednesday being vivi the princess of alabasta and igaram being her guard who takes care of her while she has infiltrated baroque works to try and save her country and obviously we haven't gotten to that main story beat yet we'll talk more about that in the next episode but this is where the baroque works starts and it's funny seeing vivi like this to be quite honest because we know her now as this very like 
brave and smart and, and just overall amazing character. And she starts off as this ridiculous, like just corny character with the pinky and the weird laughing and the bye bye baby. And just seeing Vivi like this is pretty funny, you know, because she she becomes an amazing character. And Vivi is obviously some of our favorite characters and is is so far the only crew member to have left the group officially. And yeah, I can't wait to talk more about Vivi once it's revealed who she is, what she's up against and what her goals are and her slowly becoming a straw hat crew member and yeah i this, this like this is where the story gets so good i mean arlong park was amazing but the whole alabasta saga baroque works and just seeing everything that happens from here on out i can't wait to talk about it because it's so good but yeah those are the few things that i wanted to talk about in the spoiler section you know there's a lot that was covered in these three episodes but yeah and thanks for listening and i will see you on the next episode bye